0: Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Why different sexes evolved is still a bit of a mystery. Biologists have been pondering this question for as long as there have been biologists, and many different ideas have emerged. But it seems like we may have been missing an important piece of the puzzle, by not talking to more chemists. In today's episode, we're going to explore the fantastic new Heredity review article, Oxygen, Life Forms, and the Evolution of Sexes in Multicellular Eukaryotes, in which, it seems, that your sex system may be driven by just how much you can move. This is a really interesting article, which gets to the heart of one of the most important questions in all of biology. Let's meet our author. Whoa. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please just introduce yourself?
1: Okay, yeah. Thank you for this invitation. So my name is Elvira Hörandl. I'm a botanist working here in Germany in Göttingen. My research focus is on plant evolution. And I've worked a lot with asexual plants in my uh, whole career. And here I experienced that uh, there's a lot of classical theory about sex Mostly coming from zoology, but it doesn't fit well to the green world. And based on this, I more and more try to understand all of the more general things, the evolution of sex, why is sex is so predominant in nature, and I try to develop novel theories.
0: Mm. Perfect. And you were kind of mentioning sex there quite a lot. And that is basically what you're here to talk to us about today is this sort of fantastic new review that you have in Heredity. And before we get into the details of it, I wonder if you could just give us a general idea of what this review focuses on.
1: Well, the background is that we want to resolve the the paradox of sex in nature. So this is basically one big question in evolution of biology, why this is so predominant, because there are costs involved with it for the individual doing it without any obvious advantage. And the problem is also that sex is a a composed process. So one component is the meiosis process, the cost of meiosis, which breaks up favorable gene combinations. And the other one is then the fertilization process. And here we need two individuals, basically two parents. And here it is often uh, seen the cost of having different sexes as it is in animals is seen as a major cost of sex because only the females can have offspring, the males not. And here uh, it would be simply quantitatively better if no sex differentiation would be for, for, for the reproduction. So we have to keep these two things apart. I published on the costs of meiosis in other review articles, also in Heredity, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) published on that earlier. And this review article has a focus on the second topic, on the on sexes and why there are different sexes uh, in some groups of organisms, and in others there are combined sexes or no sexes at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. I, I think it's really interesting what you're saying there, because I think a lot of people might just assume that biologists have a really good grasp on why sex evolved because it's such an important part of the field. But there, there does seem to be an awful lot of questions about it, and I guess this paper is sort of a key example of that. So I guess the sort of big question is what is this review actually focused in on? Because it's one sort of very particular idea about the evolution of sex that it explores, isn't it?
1: Yes, uh, we wanted to focus on distribution of sexes and why we see these uh, different sexual systems in the different kingdoms of eukaryotes, so basically plants, animals, and fungi. So we didn't go into the protists in the unicellular organisms because uh, here is a bit of a separate topic. And what I said before, I mean, these theories on, on meiosis, we regard it as a repair tool of DNA damage that is coming from oxygen radicals. This would not explain different sexes. So uh, one has to look into the different groups of organisms. So animals, and of course the literature is dominated by the zoological literature, mm. have mostly separate sexes on different individuals. In plants, we have often combined sexes; that means they are hermaphrodites. And in fungi, we have different mating types, but each individual can act both as, let's say, father and mother, and act like a an hermaphrodite. And in some organisms, the more simple organisms, algae, uh, sometimes there are no, there's no sex differentiation at all. So we see this is not a general picture, and uh, we were interested to get more insight into this, and we reviewed the literature around that. And we proposed also a new idea (laughs) that this is basically uh, due to different physiological constraints.
0: Yeah, it's a very fascinating idea. And as you mentioned there, you kind of went through this process by looking at sort of the three different groups, so plants, fungi, and animals. And in your review, you kind of look at hypothetical versions. And I think it might be good if we could just kind of go through each of those.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe first we make the connection on the one hand between the physiology of the organisms and oxidative stress that they have from their physiology and sessile and mobile lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So the ma- major idea is that sessile and mobile lifestyle determine sex systems. I mean, this is obvious when you look around. I mean, plants do not run around, and, but animals uh, run and fly and swim and so on. And you have usually separate sexes in mobile organisms and combined sexes in sessile uh, organisms like plants and fungi. And this correlation is, in fact, not so new. Already Darwin recognized it, uh, and there are also a couple of review articles confirming it. But this leads to the question, why is it like that? Yeah, And how does it influence the sex systems? And our key argument is that we have major processes causing oxidative stress, that means radical formation. Uh, and this, this is different in the different groups. So we have, on the one hand, the cellular respiration, the aerobic respiration via uh, the mitochondria. This increases a lot with motility, so it's the major stress component in, in animals. In plants, uh, radical formation comes mainly from photosynthesis. And in, in fungi, it's mainly destruction of organic compounds when they are saprophytes or also, when they are parasites, they also have to cope with the oxidative stress that comes from the response system of their of their host. And the basic idea is that one organism can cope only with one major source of stress. Yeah, it cannot make different things. Yeah, because the mechanisms to scavenge radicals and to balance redox homeostasis, they cannot cope with so many different stresses, and would be simply too much for the cells. And Now, when we look into the different groups of organisms, so we started with the plants because uh, I think this is very important to realize that in plants, uh, photosynthesis, the basic process, is really a major source for reactive oxygen species. So that's why plants are sessile. So there are very few algae that can be mobile at the same time and uh, have photosynthesis. But when you look at the multicellular Plants And uh, especially then in the terrestrial systems, they are all sessile. But this has also major consequences because when you're not mobile, you also need no neuronal systems, you need no sensory organs, you're just sitting there and doing your photosynthesis and that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) This is, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it it, it looks also self-standing. Everyone knows uh, that trees do not run around. But uh, when you think about it, why is it like that? Uh, Then really the physiology comes in. And this has then major uh, consequences for the distribution of sexes. Because they are sessile, that means the mating partners They cannot actively recognize each other and they cannot come together and select each other for the mating process. Yeah. So they need and help the palm transfer via wind, insect and so on. Uh, For the gamete transfer, there's a lot of uh, stochasticity in this. And altogether also the options of uh, mate search and with this sexual selection is very limited. So the plant simply tries to make any mating. Uh, successful this works best this can be also relatively easily shown when all individuals can be at the same time male and female that means mom and dad yeah so that's why they are hermaphrodites yeah because this way each plant can produce seeds and they can maximize their their offspring so they have a system of combined sexes Predominantly there are a few species with separate sexes, but this is less than f- less than four percent or so.
0: And presumably they're also sessile. <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great, and I assume that fungi must be fairly similar to plants in this regard. I mean, they also seem fairly sessile. Is that true?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. So it's also very early in their phylogeny. They have given up any motile forms, and uh, because in fact they are more phylogenetically they are more related to animals than to plants. Yeah, mm. but uh, they have given up the motility very early in the phylogeny and uh, in the ancestors. And in their lifestyle, they, for instance, in the soil, live from the destruction of organic compounds and so on. And also here they have, they're exposed to oxidative stress. And because of this, they cannot be mobile. Yeah. They are sessile. And also because of this, they have also no neurons. They have no brains and no sensory organs. They simply explore their substrate with their mycelia. And so it's similar to plants from a functional point of view. They also have to somehow come together to to, to get a mating partner. Usually, simply the mycelia grow together. They have some chemical signals for recognition, but they have no eyes or ears. (laughs) And also here, sexual selection is limited. And also, they need to simply make any mating successful. So again, all these different mating types, what they have, uh, they can cross. And in fungi, it's in some groups, it's even like that, that there is not just two sexes. There are many different mating types. That means many sexes, up to thousands of sexes, if you want, simply to ensure that each individual which comes together to another individual, they would be compatible and could, could do the mating process.
0: Mm, no, it's fascinating. And I guess it's also fairly similar to plants where you can have incredibly complex mating systems, even if... Generally, they're trying to make it as easy on themselves as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it kind of brings us then to animals, which I know you said earlier kind of dominate um, the literature, which we kind of all are kind of aware of. But I think they're really interesting because there are obviously very mobile and also fairly sedentary species. So how do these ideas work out when it comes to animals?
1: Well, yes, the animals are heterotrophic. So they have to be, <laughs> because as we learned before, photosynthesis and mobility, this doesn't go together. So they have to be mobile to catch their prey or find father or uh, also escape from predators and so on. And this is, of course, simply also from the muscle activity is a major source of oxidative stress on the one hand. On the other hand, also they uh, need... Neuronal systems, they need brains, they need sensory organs, eyes, ears, and so on to be efficient. Yeah, <laughs> mobility enforces, this enforces also higher cell differentiation, I would say. So their physiology, let's say, makes a more differentiated organism. And this has a lot of advantage for sexual reproduction because now the different mating partners can recognize each other over longer distances. Yeah, for instance, the song of birds or simply the visual notion, and they can more actively select the most fitting mating partner. Yeah, And uh, when they have found each other, they can also directly come together for physical contact. So there is Uh, no loss of gametes on the way. This bears the advantage of sexual selection. Sexual selection is a very interesting topic and a very strong evolutionary force, also already recognized by Darwin, by the way, (laughs) and there's a lot of research on it. And this usually leads to a higher fitness and is an advantage, let's say, for uh, sexual reproduction. So usually it's on the one hand the male-male competition for, to let's say, so that the the best one uh, uh, is is then the one that is the mating one and the female choice so they can choose the best and the best fitting, the fittest partner. And this, of course, has a fitness advantage. And with this, they more or less can overcome all these problems to come together have selective advantages and can benefit from having two different sexes because it has been shown in a couple of studies that sexual selection is strongest when the sexes are different and have slightly different roles in their mating procedures. So altogether, one, one would say animals can afford to have different sexes and can afford to have one sex that is not producing uh, offspring, yeah, the males. But this is more an advantage for animals because of their physiological background. Yeah? It would not be an advantage for, for plants or for fungi. And also, when we look into the phylogeny, most animals even have sex determination systems. That means on a, on a chromosomal basis, like the X and Y uh, system in, in humans, there are different such systems in animals, and most of them uh, more or less uh, also uh, fix then more or less the, the sexes. Mm.
0: No, I mean it's it's really interesting and I mean the trends are kind of I mean they're there and it's it's a very convincing idea. I guess I wonder you already mentioned that there are some plants that have different sexes and there are some animals which are asexual or are largely asexual and I kind of wonder how these exceptions fit into your sort of like broader framework.
1: Yes, of course, Uh, this is often an argument against our theory, but uh, I would say the exceptions usually confirm the rules.
0: Usually in biology, I think.
1: (laughs) We we can learn from the exceptions also uh, about uh, these groups. So in, in plants, as I said, we have usually no sex chromosomes very few far less than 1% of species have sex chromosomes and very few have let's say male and female individuals and this evolves mostly in in trees and here when you imagine a big tree and this would be a hermaphrodite then with many many flowers yeah a big tree making many flowers then there would be the danger of a high amount of self-fertilization yeah self-fertilization is in the shorthand, it can be an advantage. In the long hand, it is a disadvantage because it makes the uh, it increases the homozygosity and it leads to inbreeding depression. Yeah, so in evolutionary terms, uh, selfing is a disadvantage. And <laughs> Very much not good. <laughs> <laughs> there are some plants uh, that can do selfing in a short time. Usually, these are annuals. But for a, for a big tree which has many many flowers, when you imagine a big apple tree and bees flying around from one flower to the other on the same tree, yeah, there's a lot of self fertilization going on. Therefore, there is a tendency to to separate uh, sexes. This is observed also in in tropical trees mostly. And here it remains nevertheless on on low frequencies. And the hermaphroditic sexual system is uh, more or less the predominant one. So we see that only under certain conditions, and this has not much to do with sexual selection in plants, in fact, it has been shown that then there is often more wind pollination involved. Yeah, and in wind, of course, there is no choice of, of pollen at all. Mm. It is simply what the wind brings. <laughs> this, is, this is, yeah, this is the pollen. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah for sure.
1: <laughs> and uh, sexual selection is then very limited. So this would be the main explanation for different sexes in some, in a few plant species. It is called dioecy in,
0: in plants. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it's still very much linked with their physiology, I guess. Um, Just different aspects.
1: (laughs) Yeah, under certain conditions, there might be a benefit from it, but this cannot be regarded as a rule. And I think in the animals, it's the same. There are, of course, uh, sessile animals. There are more in the marine or aquatic habitats. Here, yeah, (laughs) motility is not so stressful. And of course, there are also hermaphrodites, but they are also very rare. And uh, it seems that also this evolves only under certain, uh, certain circumstances. Also, when quite often in sessile organisms or in those that are that have a slow motility, and yeah, here there's usually then both can act as male and female, but they cannot self-fertilize. Or this is very rare. Self-fertilization in animals is very rare, so this wouldn't bring any advantage to them. <laughs>
0: No, it's 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 fascinating. And I kind of wonder, uh, I mean, like, obviously, there's already a huge amount of information about this available. I mean, you've mentioned Darwin a couple of times, like, that's how long some of these observations have been building. And I wonder if we have everything already to kind of work out these ideas, or if you think there are any sort of key experiments that we might need to do in order to make this link between oxidative stress and physiology and constraints?
1: Yes. In fact, there is a lot of information already around. The problem is it is in different research fields. Yeah, mm. uh, Redox homeostasis or oxygen radical formation or scavenging, this is the field of biochemistry or physiology. And researchers in this field usually don't look into papers on evolution biology or Don't worry about evolutionary questions. And on the other hand, different sexes, this was a classical topic of evolutionary biology. And here people don't look into chemistry. Yeah? <laughs> so the, the specialization of research fields, this is a major problem. And in fact, what we try to do is now to bring this idea together in a, uh, let's say, in a combined theory. And I think it will be, of course, very interesting to look more into details in, in both components, in biochemistry, into sexes. But I think when we look into biochemistry, here, a major, uh, let's say, need is to look into more than just model organisms. Mm. And it would be necessary to compare oxidative stress, redox homeostasis in plants, animals, and fungi in a comparative way. yeah. Because also here, usually researchers focus on their uh, model plant or model animal, and they don't look around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems fairly typical.
1: But it would be great to have collaborations to bring, let's say, the information together because the basic constraint behind it, the oxygen radicals this is more or less always the same chemistry yeah so and it's different types of stress that causes this uh, oxygen radical formation mm. and when we look into more let's say the the sex systems i think it would be also good to compare more the different the different systems and the different life forms for instance how do sessile animals compare to their mobile relatives in redox homeostasis or in their levels of oxidative stress. And in algae, one could look at those that have at the same time photosynthesis and could still move and to compare it. How does oxidative stress compare to just photosynthetic uh, algae? Yeah. So I think a lot of more comparative uh, research should be done.
0: Yeah, that'd be fantastic to see. I mean, I think that sounds like a fairly standard trend where we need to look across fields. It's really interesting what you're saying about biochemistry. And it's also why I think it's really nice to have this paper in heredity, because these are like general messages, these comparative studies, that's really what the journal is aiming for. And I guess one thing that I I quite like about this is that um, obviously this topic, the evolution of sex, touches upon a lot of different disciplines and people have been thinking about it for a long time. And I guess in some ways it can be a bit contentious with new ideas. So I wonder how your hypothesis is fitting in with ideas already out there. Like what kind of reception is this getting?
1: Well, I mean, there are many hypotheses around about the evolution of sex. Yeah. So at least 20. (laughs) (laughs) Um, None of oh, them are sense really sense. so <laughs> satisfying. Yeah? None of them really could explain the whole thing, but the basic components were basically already there. So for instance, the idea that sexual systems are determined by sicility and motility, I mean, this was basically already recognized by Darwin. So this is not so new and we just have to rethink about it. But also when we look into the biochemistry. Sources of oxidative stress in plants, animals, fungi are quite well known and quite well studied. But uh, this is a separate research field, yeah, and people do not find together. This is the problem. And we make here a causal connection. And uh, I think to especially look more into these effects of, this is an indirect effect of oxygen radical formation is uh, very important because altogether this uh, oxygen shapes the physiology of all eukaryotes and is probably also the main trigger for uh, meiosis and so on. Yeah, so this is what has to be done. And we also hope to stimulate such interdisciplinary thinking and interdisciplinary research and collaborations. So I think sometimes it's not necessary to develop something completely new, but to bring ideas together
0: yeah no for sure i completely agree and i guess that kind of nicely kind of leads into the last question that i had which is i wonder what it is you are hoping people are going to come away from this review thinking like how are you hoping that this might change the way that people are looking about the evolution of sex what are you kind of hoping that they might do next is it this collaborative sort of like cross-discipline uh thinking
1: well yes i hope so <laughs> um whereby one has to be patient in this respect and of course um well usually when you when you uh, present first uh, let's say an unconventional idea or in a broader audience People are first uh, disagree and attack you and say this is all nonsense Mm. and so on. Yeah. Later on, they start to think about it. And then some people, maybe younger people, uh, more fresh minded students start to work on it. And after a while, results come. And then if there was something behind it, then it gets established knowledge. For instance, I also realized this work on meiosis that this is also a consequence of oxidative stress. I published this in 2009, and also other authors published before. And for a while, nothing happened. But then in the last 10 years, I I could see that a couple of PhD students have taken over the topic and work on it and results come out step by step. So
0: yeah, it takes some time. Mm, That must be lovely to see them. Well, hopefully this paper will inspire a few more projects and we can get a few more papers on this topic in heredity. And I guess just to finish up, it would be lovely if you could remind us what your paper is called. And also, I know you've been working with other people on this. So just tell us about anybody who might need a mention in the development of these ideas.
1: Well, the title of the paper is Oxygen, Life Forms and the Evolution of Sexes in Multicellular Eukaryotes. And... Uh, of course, I have to mention the contribution of my co-author Franz Haderchek. He's a biochemist working on plant biochemistry. He worked out the biochemical parts and he elaborated the idea that redox homeostasis shapes sessile or mobile life form. Yeah, I made the connection to this sex distribution system and reviewed what we know about sexual systems and sexual selection. And I think this is what is really needed, a collaboration also between biochemists and evolutionary biologists to make progress in this field.
0: Mm, definitely it's it's a it's a really good collaboration to see and it's a really interesting paper so i hope people will now go and give it a read and yeah be inspired by it and yeah thank you very much for taking the time to share these ideas with us and uh, tell us about these really fascinating concepts
1: yeah thank you very much for this invitation yeah and i hope i will have other papers in heredity
0: (laughs) we we do as well Thanks to Elvira. You can find her paper on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to Heredity. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening.